0: You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics.
1: And welcome to our second Domecast. We are glad to have you back and listening. We had a, an amazing week, uh, a, a numbers week, if you will, last week being crossover week, this week being a numbers week, and of course the big news of the week, Colin Campbell and Ben Brown. I, of course, am Andy Curlis with the News and Observer, and the big news was the budget. Colin, uh, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so we finally got the revenue numbers out this week. This is what the uh, House budget writers had been eagerly anticipating. It had gotten delayed a couple times, and finally Wednesday morning it was out, so this was the uh, the revenue projections, uh, having the knowledge of, you know, how much money came in uh, over the course of tax season this year. So uh ended up being a big swing from the February numbers we saw. Back in February, it was a deficit. Now we're looking at a $400 million surplus for the year and uh, fairly rosy numbers for the next fiscal year. Um, and that's all going to put the uh, budget writers in a happier mood than they might otherwise be, uh, with a little more flexibility to, to fund the programs, the tax credits, the various things that people are agitating for, and then they're hearing from various lobbyists uh, so this the, week.
1: And they're ending up the current budget year, which ends June 30th, with their, their forecasting now $400 million extra. And it also affected the forecast heading into the coming budget year, which they're about to write.
2: Yeah, so the upcoming year's forecast is up a couple percentage points, but the big talk this week was around this $400 million surplus, and people are Mm -hmm. excited about that. They say, it, you know, the Republicans say it means they've been financially managing the state well and their tax cuts didn't bankrupt the state or anything like that. Um, But ultimately, from a budget standpoint, the surplus won't have that big of an effect simply because they are constrained through the statutes. They have to use it for either one-time expenses or to put into the state's reserve funds. um, and that will limit it from being this sort of, you know, we're in the money uh, approach to next year's budget because we're looking at a different uh, set of numbers when it comes to figuring out next year.
1: And uh, so, Ben Brown, who writes for The Insider, and you can find him at Ben Brown Media on Twitter. Ben, uh, all of this had also an effect on corporate. Uh, taxes, is that right? Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, yeah, the, the thinking is that you know businesses are, are happy when they don't have to pay much or anything in taxes. There's legislation in effect bringing the state's corporate income tax rate down to attract or grow business here so the tax was at 6.9% it's now down to 5%. If we hit certain re- revenue triggers then it goes down even more by law. Um, and from the budget forecast that came out, it looks like we're on our way to hit those triggers to see a four percent corporate income tax rate in 2016, and maybe even three percent the following year.
1: From the current five uh, percent, right? Yeah,
0: that's correct. So the, the forecast, you know, we're, we're projected to finish the fiscal year with 21.4 billion bucks in the bank, uh, which breezes past the 20.2 billion target. Uh, just a forecast, but you know, since we're past tax day, you know, we've we've paid up to the state, and we've only got a month or so to go until the fiscal year ends, um, and you know. All these changes are going to have their critics. On you know, the, is this good? You know, is this the right policy? There are some analysts who say you know the state would 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 have more money had we not cut the uh, the corporate tax rate at all or income taxes in, in, in general, um, and that the savings you know that corporations might have would come off like pocket change uh, compared to how much money they make total. Republicans, of course, are pointing to the. Unemployment rate, which, which they're saying is besting the, the national unemployment rate and um, that, you know, businesses like tax reform and this is part of it and we're a new, improved North Carolina. Those are kind of the competing narratives.
1: And there is there was a lot of uh, difference of opinion about this. Uh, Colin Campbell, who you can find at Raleigh Reporter on Twitter, uh, it really was a reaction this week on the news of a surplus uh, that was divergent. uh the Democrats saying one thing, Republicans saying another. Uh, help, help me understand what's going on there.
2: Yeah, I mean, this uh, while it would seem like a fairly standard budget number coming from a, a nonpartisan fiscal research group, uh, it was interpreted in very different lenses. The Republicans saw this as a vindication of the uh, tax change that they made. They argued that we were able to cut taxes uh, while at the same time leaving the state with plenty of money to cover its uh, needs, uh, so much so that we have a surplus. Democrats, on the other hand, are saying, well of course you have a surplus because you uh cut taxes in a way that increased taxes on uh, the middle class now they're referring to uh tax deductions uh, and exemptions that were eliminated things like the senior citizen medical expense tax the earned income tax te- tax credit for low income families uh that stuff may have meant that some people while seeing an overall lower uh percentage rate of their income tax may have ended up paying more and got less of a refund uh in april and that's how the democrats view how the surplus came about.
1: So, Ben, it really is uh, just the, the these numbers have brought out the, the different philosophies that are playing out on so many issues, and yeah. you just saw it crystallized, really. That's right,
0: and, and it's kind of curious to see what the takeaway is for the general public. You know, there are people on Jones Street who, you know, the, the lobbyists and, you know, the, you know, people in the Republican camp might be celebrating these numbers. People on the other side have, you know, their criticisms of it. I'm kind of wondering you know, what the takeaway is for people who might be voting in 2016. You know, is, is this kind of does it ring in their minds or is it just another political story with numbers? You know, it, it's it, it's kind of fascinating to see how these competing narratives are trying to affect public perception of what 400 million means.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to watch that play out. Uh, you know, the, this all feeds into what comes next, including uh, really uh, starting uh, this coming week which is the drafting of a of a new budget for real Mm -hmm. and uh... so uh... colin tell me a little bit about what we expect uh... here going forward
2: so this week now, especially with the numbers out, the uh, chief house budget writers, all the appropriations chairs, there were a couple dozen of them have been meeting uh, in closed-door meetings to sort of hash out the, the preliminary plans for the budget, uh, and they've been meeting really long hours. I, th- I think I heard it was from 8.30 in the morning till 8 or 9 at night in some cases. When I talked to the, the chief house budget writer, Nelson Dollar, he looked kind of exhausted uh, yesterday, uh, this week. So uh, that'll pan out uh, through the beginning of next week and continue then. Thursday is when we will get our first view most likely at the uh, preliminary uh, budget structure. It'll be going to the appropriation subcommittees, so there's one for uh, environmental resources, there's one for health care, and each of those subcommittees will get a crack at their chunk of the budget. They'll give feedback to the chief budget writers who will, over the next weekend, uh, be coming up and running the final numbers, that'll be out uh, the week of the 18th. And within a couple days of that, it'll be a very rushed process uh, through the House. Within a couple days, they're hoping to have a final vote and get that document over to the Senate.
1: And as they – Ben Brown, as they uh, assemble this budget – they have a surplus. They've got money to play with. Are they going to spend it all?
0: You know, It's, it's kind of been neat to see uh, how everybody's kind of come to the table and saying this is what it should go for. It should go for, you know, um, uh, state employee raises is, is one example. You know, we don't have competitive salaries. Let's give employee raises. We know that's an issue. Others say, you know, this should go toward uh, senior needs. We have a growing senior population in North Carolina. And then uh, I saw some tweets uh, yesterday from people involved with the Metro Mayor's Coalition saying, you know, we should put this toward rural infrastructure needs instead of doing anything to to tamper with the sales tax uh, distribution. So that that part's been fascinating.
1: It's always interesting when they have money to spend. Mm -hmm. It may actually end up with a longer session or longer period here than than what we might expect when they are just really tight on the money. We have uh, Representative Lambeth uh, talking about this exact uh, topic, and so as we go into a break, let's listen to what he had to say. No doubt there's been a lot
0: of uh, questions about uh, how that money will be spent. And, uh, you know, we're trying. My
1: background is uh,
0: in finance. I had an MBA from Wake Forest, and I'm trying to look at this from a fiscally prudent standpoint. And, you know, the easy thing to do would be making a lot of people happy and rush out and spend that money, but that is not the fiscally prudent thing to do. And we will take a much more deliberate approach in looking at ways that we can be not just thinking about this next two year budget, but into the future as well.
1: And welcome back to. The second edition of our Domecast, a podcast that we are excited about, have received a lot of positive uh, feedback and thank you for that. You can of course follow uh, Under the Dome at Under the Dome on Twitter. It is a uh, master Twitter feed that covers all of the news and Observer and the Insider and of course everything going on in North Carolina politics. And so we thank you for listening. We're back here with uh, now, Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer, and Patrick Gannon of the Insider and uh, Craig and pat uh, the The big uh movement of the week was obviously Governor McCrory uh We saw him in several places throughout the week on some of the big stories of the week and it started uh, as I recall with um him and 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 leaders in the legislature standing in the old house chamber. Uh, with a a uh, fake credit card, uh, Craig, what what was that all about?
3: Not only a fake credit card, but a giant pair of scissors to cut up the fake credit card, and a lot of uh, back padding and self congratulations. Uh, uh, this was a big debt that state paid off really quickly. Uh, what happened was the uh, we're talking about the unemployment insurance debt here. Uh, back in 2009, when the economy was really bad, people were out of jobs, <coughs> put a lot of strain on the uh, uh, unemployment insurance pool, and that money was depleted, so North Carolina had to borrow money from the federal government, and as a result of that, that has increased uh, uh, the burden on employers quite a bit. I think it was, I think they already pay forty-two dollars per year per employee, and this added twenty-one dollars on top of that, and there's a state surcharge. Anyway, it's it was a big debt to be carrying around, and because of some controversial things they did uh, last year. Uh, mainly cutting down the size of uh, the amount of unemployment benefits checks and the uh, number of weeks that you can collect them, uh, they managed to pay off a 2.8 billion dollar debt, and uh, uh, which uh, the administration is saying over the course of about three years will save businesses about 700 million dollars. And uh, Dale Falwell, the deputy commerce secretary, likes to say that that's a it's a tax cut that doesn't impact the budget in any way it's it's he's calling it a tax cut i'm you know it's a mm-hmm. surcharge but it will uh you know it doesn't impact doesn't take anything away from roads or education for example
1: well and it and it was a a moment that that especially the republicans wanted to celebrate right they had uh, assumed this and there's uh, no question that they really took it on as a as a, something they wanted to get rid of
3: yeah it was something they could really sink their teeth into uh, from the beginning and for them it's uh, it was vindication of all of their policies or their tax policies and, and other and beyond that uh, this kind of belt tightening that's been going on and they uh, you know they brought senator rucho and senator i mean representative julia howard uh, mm-hmm. up to work the scissors and cut the card <laughs> because they've been the legislators that have been on this uh, the longest and so they kind of got that that yeah. credit yeah
1: now pat gannon uh, wasn't all uh all victory laps for the governor this week is that fair to say
3: that's fair to say i would say
4: the governor had a pretty good week all in all um if, if you compare it to, to other recent weeks uh you could definitely say the governor had a good week but as you said it wasn't all fun and games on monday the start of the week um, Joe Coletti, who's the director of uh, NC Gear, which is which stands for Government uh, Efficiency and Reform, it's a it's a program started by uh, the governor, you know that, that kind of focuses on one of his main priorities, which is to kind of streamline state government, make it run more efficiently, make it run uh, on less money, and um, the governor, I'm sorry, uh, Joe Coletti gave a presentation to. Um, the, uh, to a legislative committee on Monday uh, about a 70-page report that, his, that NC Gear um, uh, has uh, written uh, that, that highlights ways to um, save money and, and make government run more efficiently. Some of those uh, recommendations are uh, privatizing a state motor pool, um, moving zoos, aquariums, And parks, from uh, Diener to the Department of Cultural uh, Resources, Um, there's a bunch of other ones requiring state agencies to pay rent and utilities. Currently, they don't pay rent rent utilities. This this they think could help. uh, Could would require state agencies to kind of uh, stay in places where it costs them less money, or that they you know that they fit well in. So anyway. Uh, they, he gave this long presentation about the NC gear, and um, it was met with some significant criticism by both House and Senate members. Senate members have been known to to criticize the governor, but the House members not so much. And it, it was particularly uh, interesting that Representative Craig Horn, who's usually a pretty laid-back, kind of uh, very friendly legislator, uh, really uh, ripped into the report. He said, quote, we all expected some more... Uh, recommendation something we could sink our teeth into uh, and he went on from there um, so this is definitely part of the governor's administration that's that's getting criticized at this point
1: and and this was something that the governor talked a lot about is
4: that right uh, Craig
1: I mean this was a one of his efficiency uh, efforts
3: yeah he's been talking about this from the beginning and he talks about it when he when he's out in public and he uh, you know just planned on this being um, being a uh, a hallmark of his of his tenure that he that, that they would save a lot of money by making recommendations some of this stuff is is uh, some of the recommendations we've heard before it was in his budget uh, as a result of nc gears recommendations but uh, some of it has been talked about before from previous committees but he uh, you know he it wasn't it wasn't entirely clear to me what horn and the other co-chairman um, Fletcher, Fletcher Hartshill were were asking for they just wanted more and so it was a little vague. I thought about what it what it is that more was going to be, but it was clear they were not happy with this particular. And
1: report. any a lot of times you get into these efficiency uh, efforts, and they come up with a whole bunch of recommendations, and uh, but there's, it sounds like there's nothing signature out of this, and lawmakers reacted uh, accordingly.
3: Yeah, yeah.
4: As Joe Coletti said repeatedly in the meeting, once. You know, things sound great on the surface, but once you start researching them, getting into the, the nitty-gritty and the, and, and the details, some of these savings, some of these ways that sound really easy aren't all that easy, um, you know, to save money.
3: Yeah, that, that, that was clear. Some yeah. of the legislators were saying, we wanted something, a remake of government top to bottom. And Coletti said, well, that was a grand idea, but we just started with the basics to begin with there's a reason that
4: things still run the, the, the same way and, and, and it's it's like with with legislation sometimes bills seem so um slam dunk but when you get into the details it it it's not always as it seems
1: there is another uh signature effort which is the governor has been pushing uh his bonds uh and there was a little bit of news on that uh, towards the end of the week uh, what, what what exactly happened on the on the bonds this week?
3: Well, that was kind of an unexpected bump in the road. Uh, the governor, as we've said, has really been touting the uh, <clears throat> the two bonds bonds for road repairs and bonds for infrastructure repairs, and uh, he knew it was going to be a tough sell, uh, especially with the Senate, which has not always been his closest ally. But uh, last week, Senator Berger said um, it would take a lot of convincing to do, which wasn't un- unexpected. But this week, kind of out of the blue, uh, House Speaker Tim Moore said, I am not sure this is the right time for these bonds. Maybe rushing it onto a ballot in November is not the best idea. And it was really kind of the first sign that it might be a harder for him to accomplish anything than, than we thought. And uh, so it was interesting.
4: Yeah, there's one train of thought out there that says, so the, gut, so the state all of a sudden has this surplus uh, of cash sitting there. Some of it has to be used in savings, et cetera. But some of the conservatives in the legislature probably won't want to rush out and borrow a couple billion dollars when they have some cash that they can they can spend on, you know, a few things up front uh, immediately. Uh, so it's going to be a much harder sell than we even thought before.
1: Wow. OK, well, good. Let's take a break and uh, we'll come back uh, after a quick word.
0: Social Security believes the integrity of our programs is important. To protect the people we serve and the services we offer, we use many tools to identify, prevent, and stop fraud. We identify fraud by using tools that predict the chance of fraud happening. We also have stiff penalties that discourage people from committing fraud. Social Security has zero tolerance for fraud and so should you. If you suspect someone is committing Social Security fraud, report it online at http colon slash slash oig.ssa.gov slash report or call the Social Security Fraud Hotline at 1-800-269-0271.
1: And welcome back. We're going to try to have a little bit of fun here with a segment we're going to call our headliner of the week. And so I'm going to give each of our uh, panelists here Craig Jarvis, Colin Campbell, Patrick Gannon, and Ben Brown uh, what do you guys want? 45 seconds? I'll give you 45 seconds. Tell me who the headliner of the week is. Make your best argument. I will cut you off at 45 seconds. And let's hear first from Colin Campbell, who was the headliner of the week, Colin.
2: Well, this may be the former Raleigh City Hall reporter me speaking, but I, th- I think it has to be Raleigh Mayor Nancy McFarlane, who uh, scored a big victory this week with the Dorothea Dix uh, Park plan, uh, getting a unanimous vote from the Council of State on Tuesday. She's been pushing for this for years. It's gotten held up and held up. Uh, she's had opposition uh, in the Repu- from the Republicans, particularly in the Senate, who felt like this was not a good deal for the state to uh, sell this land to Raleigh for fifty-two million dollars. Um, and she even has a portrait of herself uh, at this park in her, her wall in her home. This this is her signature achievement as mayor. And how often do you get to beat out the state Senate? It's a it's a hard juggernaut to beat out.
1: Okay, good. And your time is up. Uh, so Nancy McFarland, Raleigh mayor. And Craig Jarvis, who do you think was the headliner of the week?
3: Well, I'm going to go with Tim Moore, the House Speaker, uh, just because it was. I thought it was an un, almost overlooked piece of news when he uh, announced that there that the, he didn't think that the governor's uh, bonds, roads, and uh, infrastructure bonds were going to go through. And we have assumed that he was that Moore was really in Pat McCrory's uh, camp because his predecessor Tom Tillis had been. And the House and the governor have been well, you know, closely aligned as opposed to the Senate. And so for, for Moore, who uh, also came out recently and said that the, uh, you know, Religious Freedom Act wasn't going to go forward, which made McCrory happy, uh, for him to kind of go counter to the governor is the first time we've seen that. And it, it's a show of independence and could spell doom for the bond projects.
1: Yeah. Okay. Very good. And I need to let people know Pat McCrory is off the list uh, on this segment. Uh, we worked that out ahead of time since we had just talked about all the things Pat McCrory did. So I went ahead and uh, kept him off the list. So tell me, uh, Ben Brown, who do you think is the uh, headliner of the week? So I'm going to go with Representative Dana Bumgardner.
0: He's a Gaston County Republican because he, with some help from Skip's Dam, made a ripple on the House floor that ended up kicking a county omnibus bill back to the locker room, so to speak, because of a provision that would guarantee counties authority to charge fees for residential recycling programs. And this stems from an Orange County resident who has refused to pay his recycling fee because the law currently does not say explicitly that counties can charge that fee. It does say they can charge solid waste fees, but the word recycling isn't in there, so hence this bill comes forward to add recycling language and legalize what counties across the state are already doing. Then Representative Bum- Bumgardner throws down a, uh, an amendment on the House floor that surprised a lot of people that would basically cross out that whole proposal because he said it'll lead to counties all over the place charging recycling fees that people don't want and he made the comment that he has two trash cans presumably one of them being a recycling cart and now he doesn't have room for that at his home in his district he said i don't like it and neither do people from my district. and the bill got pulled because of all the concern we do expect (laughs) it to run again (laughs) though
1: so uh, a recycling bin in the garage leads to um, an interesting discussion, right? That's correct. Uh, okay, so Pat Gannon, uh, who is your headliner of the week?
4: I'm gonna go with Senator Bob Rucho, the Matthews Republican who's, who's pretty much, tax reform is pretty much uh, Bob Rucho's uh, baby or grandbaby maybe. Um, he got the opportunity this week and he's talked about it. He, he took reporters aside two, three, four years ago to start telling us about his ideas for tax reform. At every moment, any chance he gets, he likes to talk about how it's working, how jobs are being created, how uh, uh, employers are saving money and creating jobs and that kind of thing. And this week's um, uh, revenue forecast really gave him a chance to uh, spike the football, so to speak. And he did so on the Senate floor on Thursday when he basically said this is just – Validation: the tax reform is working, it's creating jobs, it's, it's not killing the revenue of the state. The state still has enough money to do what it needs to do, and now we just need to do more of it. And that was uh, Rucho's kind of statement to the Senate yesterday.
1: All right, so I have to decide from amongst those uh, eloquent arguments. And I think... <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> I think it's a close call between Nancy McFarlane, who, through uh, perseverance was able to get that Dix deal done. But I have to uh, go with uh, Pat Gannon's argument that Bob Rucho is the headliner of the week. And as we head out and uh, say thank you for listening, uh, let's let's hear a little bit of that victory lap that Rucho, took on the Senate floor this week in Raleigh. You know as well as I do, we made a lot of uh, changes in tax policy. We put a lot of money back in the pockets of the working families, small businesses and the like, trying to make North Carolina very competitive. And in reality, what we also did, because of the policies we took, and this General Assembly should be credited for this, we actually had the best year ever in 2014 in job creation close to 110,000 jobs this year, in 2014. 110,000 jobs. And what that means is North Carolinians, as we promised, would be going back to work, allowing them to work their way out of poverty by having a good job, which is a lot better than the government assistance.